Heavenly Father, as we spend some time in your word this morning, by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would teach us and correct us and encourage us, and ultimately, Lord, that you would transform us, that we would be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Please be seated. Since we are approaching Halloween, I thought it would be appropriate to begin my sermon by telling you a couple of terrible Halloween jokes that I will laugh at, and a few of you will laugh at, and most of you will either groan or they might might not even be worth a groan. Do you know why mummies don't have many friends. They are too wrapped up in themselves. (laughs) Terrible. It's terrible. Do you know what you get when you cross a vampire and the abominable snowman? Frostbite. (laughs) And do you know why ghosts tell very poor jokes? because you can see right through them. (laughs) All right, I tell you those terrible jokes because Halloween is coming. I tell them to you because my family loves puns and terrible jokes. In fact, underneath all of my vestments, I am wearing a pun shirt. I mean, this is like part of our life. And I tell you, because of beggar's night. How many of you know what beggar's night is? Wow, I really thought there'd be a few of you from Iowa that would know what beggar's night is. This is a huge thing in Des Moines. Instead of Halloween, if you go on to the Des Moines website, the register, you will see tons and tons of neighborhoods that have time set up for beggar's night. Instead of children going around and saying trick-or-treat, they have to go to homes and, get this, tell corny jokes or sing. And that's what gets them candy or popcorn or other things. I mean, my family needs to go to Des Moines for Halloween because we would love that. Never. Oh my gosh, it's all over the place. Like, there are literally dozens of places that you can see the times of when you do this. Beggar's night. And as I thought about it, and I thought of my family, and I thought about kids, and I thought, you know, there are a number of ways that you can probably do Halloween, but there is one thing that is absolutely true no matter how it is done. Kids are on a mission for Halloween. How much candy can they possibly get? One of my children has already asked me, we must go to another neighborhood after ours because I must get more candy. I mean, it is like there is a mission in kids. How many homes can we hit to get candy? And as I think about that mission, that commitment, often in the stories we read about Jesus, he will say, what the point is. He will give his own mission statement. 
And he does in this account of Zacchaeus. At the very end, in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There is no doubt what the account is about. There's no doubt what his mission is. What I want to do is I want to take that lens. He came to seek and he came to save. And I want to walk through the story of Zacchaeus and show us both for those who are lost in the sense of not knowing Christ and those of us who do know him but sometimes still feel lost. We feel distant from him. That he came to seek and he came to save. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke 19. You can use the Pew Bibles if you didn't bring one. It's page 1496. Page 1496. Luke chapter 1. Sorry, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Ignore the words of mine that don't match the other words of mine. Just pay attention to one of them. Hopefully you get the right one. Page 1496. He came to seek. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And here's what we know about him. He's a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Now, tax collectors were hated. They were hated because they ripped off their own people. They were seen as being in league with the Romans. But a chief tax collector is the head of a Ponzi scheme. He is working with the other tax collectors and getting money from them. And when it says he was very wealthy, he was very wealthy. Everyone would have known him. He would have been the guy that everybody was, oh, stay away from him. Let's talk about him when he's not around. You'd never want to invite this guy anywhere. He'd probably not want to come anyway because he's so high above us. He was the chief of sinners in the eyes of many of the average people. That's Zacchaeus. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, understand here, Zacchaeus is not thinking right now at this moment, I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. I need to go find Jesus. He's heard of Jesus because everyone has, and he wants to see who he is. This guy's coming through Jericho. I want to see what this guy's like. I want to see who Jesus is. But because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So everybody in Jericho wants to meet Jesus. And Zacchaeus happens to be a very short person. He may be super wealthy. He's got the giant house. He's got the best carriage, the best horses. He has the best meals, everything else. But he's short. And in the midst of this crowd, he can't see Jesus. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. A point I want to make about Jesus seeking us, there are barriers that get in the way between us and him. Here's what I mean. We know, because Paul writes to Timothy, 
that God wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth and to be saved. And yet, will all people do that? No. We know when Jesus is talking to them about prayer, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Now, I'm going to break that down for a moment. That doesn't mean that if you are a Christian and you withhold forgiveness from somebody, you're suddenly going to hell for that. It does mean there is a barrier between you and God. There are numerous ways in which we have barriers. Zacchaeus had a barrier. His was physical. He had a barrier of even seeing Jesus because of the crowds. I would argue in our lives, there are numerous barriers between us and God that often are on us. How many of your lives are chaotic? You don't have enough time. You find yourself getting to the end of the day and you wonder how the, like, where did everything go? And within all of that, there wasn't a moment that you really just sat down with the Lord. Our chaos The way our lives run are often barriers. They get in the way of us just encountering Christ. Sometimes it goes deeper. Sometimes our sin becomes a barrier partly because either we hold on to our guilt and we're looking for ways to make up for things before we come to him, or sometimes we just refuse to let go of those things we know we need to let go of. There is no way you can live in constant sin and not feel like there's something between you and God because you're constantly dealing with guilt. There are barriers. However, Zacchaeus does not let his barrier stand in the way of trying to get as close as he can. Whatever's on him, whatever's standing in there, whether it's forgiveness or sin or pride or arrogance or whatever it is, He does what is necessary, including what probably looked quite foolish. So we were at a park yesterday, and my son was climbing a tree, and he wanted a little bit of help, but he didn't want me to actually boost him up there. He just wanted me to help him figure it out. And one of the ways I helped him was by putting my own arms around there and partly climbing up the tree. I am still paying for that right now. Because when you climb a tree as an adult, it is just not the same thing. And and Zacchaeus, like, he, he would have looked foolish. He didn't care. He might have had back pain the next day. I know. He didn't care. He's climbing up this tree. What barriers stand in your way? Because here's the incredible part, and we need to hear this, every single one of us. You may feel that you are distant from Christ and you need to seek him, and that may be true, but you need to know He is not just standing back there waiting, hoping you do all the right things, and once you do all the right things, then he says, okay, you can come encounter me. Look what happens in this text. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, what spot? The spot where Zacchaeus is at. Notice what happens next. It's not Zacchaeus that goes, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'd like to see you. It's not Zacchaeus. 
he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus is always seeking. And there may be things that get in the way that we need to overcome. There may be barriers that we need to work with in our lives. But he is also seeking. And honors, in the case of Zacchaeus, he honors the commitment Zacchaeus makes to do whatever's in his power to come see Jesus. That's who our Lord is, because that's his mission seeking out people. We've been trying really, really hard to potty train our little dog. I've told you that before. I told you that about four months ago. Well, now it's been about 10 months. He is half trained. Meaning, if you get him out there in time, he goes outside like he's supposed to. But if you don't, he has a favorite place in the words of Jesus that he must go. And it's our basement carpet. He must go there. So we have barriers set up to keep the dog from getting to where he wants to go. Those barriers are half effective. As long as you're paying attention and don't give them too long, because he will go over them, he will go through them, he will go around them, he will do whatever it takes to get to the spot he wants to get to. And that kind of commitment, that's what we need. Jesus wants to have an encounter with you. What barriers are there? He is seeking you. Will you lay down, go around, go through whatever it is that's standing in the way? (laughs) Man, it's really hard to give a sermon with a rat behind you. (laughs) Oh, is this the spider? Oh, Oh, this is awesome. So we have bats, rats, and spiders. (laughs) Go Halloween. (laughs) Man, we're going to have to turn the sanctuary back around. Just for this. All right. Eyes over here, people. (laughs) It's like a teacher. Eyes up here. He seeks, but he also saves. Look what happens with the account. Go back into our text. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the house of a sinner. So Jesus loses reputation here. He goes into the house of a sinner. Could that really be a holy man? A holy man would never go into a house like that, which if you know anything about Jesus, I mean, he's throwing parties for sinners. This is exactly where you expect him. However, there's something for Zacchaeus here too. He takes a holy man into his home. If something doesn't change or happen or, I mean, he's even a worst person. You're taking this holy guy into your house and you're still just a total jerk who takes advantage of everybody. Taking him in. Not only that, here's Zacchaeus wondering, what's this holy man going to do? He wants into my house. And Zacchaeus gladly says, come on in. Keep going. Zacchaeus stood up. And he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus did not just want to seek out Zacchaeus. He wanted to save him. And salvation, scripturally speaking, is not limited to our afterlife. God wants to save people now and turn them into Christ followers. People's lives reflecting him. He wants to save you from the junk that takes over your life. He wants to save you from the lies you think you have to tell. He wants to save you from the money that owns too much of who you are. That's what's happening with Zacchaeus. It's not only the salvation of his soul. It's also the salvation of his life here and now. And Zacchaeus buys in. So I want you to think about what he does. Because his commitment in this moment, it is an all-out commitment. First, Zacchaeus says, yes, you may come into my home. Not just, like, let's have a conversation. We're around the tree right now. We're outside. Let's grab some coffee somewhere. No, come into my house. And here's the commitment I make. And I think the first part of the commitment is what most people think of. I will give away half of my possessions. Well, he was a wealthy man before this point. He probably still has a decent amount of money, but not the amount of money he had before he makes this proclamation. Giving away half his wealth will greatly impact what he can do and not do. But it's also what comes next. Do you have any idea how many people a tax collector defrauds? It's how they become wealthy. He is now going to repay four times the amount that he's defrauded anybody of. Okay, so let's say he's got X amount of money. Forgive me for doing some math. I'll probably do it wrong. I'm terrible at math. But I have really good math people in my family, just not me. The other day I helped my son with his fourth grade math and I told my wife, it's amazing, sweetheart. I can do math as long as it's at a fourth grade level. And then he got his paper back and he missed like five out of 20 or something. <laughs> I can't even do fourth grade math, but I can do this. He's got X amount of money. He takes half of that and gives that to the poor. Whatever's left of the half, he then uses that to go, well, I defrauded you. X amount, four times the amount back, four times the amount back, four times the amount back. What is this guy left with? He will no longer be a wealthy man by the time he's done with all of this. And, and I'm going to make a little bit of a conjecture here. If he's willing to give four times the amount he defrauded to people, I'm guessing he's no longer going to defraud people. And if that's the case, he is never going to make back the amount of money he's giving away. He is making an all-out commitment that is long-term to Christ. He is being saved both soul and life as he goes on a new path. Right? This is how I envision things happening. So we had grandparents out last week. We have three sets of grandparents because my parents are divorced and remarried. So we have three sets of grandparents. None of them live in this area. So they all come to visit us. 
And it's wonderful when they come. You guys may love when visitors come. But what we love about visitors coming is we love the company. We love seeing people we haven't seen for a while. When it's grandparents, you love your grandkids getting to hang out with them and do things. But there's also things that you don't love as much. Like their routines are often different than your routines. The things they like or don't like. Whatever your day might or may not have looked like, it changes. My son has to give up his room and then he stays in his brother's room and then they have a, you know, overnight war each night as they fight all night long. Like it messes your life up. And yet, the great thing is you get the wonderful time with them and then they go home (laughs) and you get your life back. The morning my dad was leaving, he said to my son, the one that he took his room over, he said, hey man, you get your room back. And that's exactly right. You get your room back. You get your life back. That is what I think happens often with our Christian lives. We are convicted of something in our life. We want to make a change. And we invite Jesus in. Just like Zacchaeus did. Come on into my house. And we make some changes. We give some things up. We start acting differently. And then a week or two later, we go, okay, Jesus, head on home now. (laughs) Back to heaven. Like, I need my house back. And then we just live the same way we were living before. Could you imagine if the visitors didn't go home? Could you imagine if the grandparents came and stayed and just stayed? When Jesus comes into your life, the way he wants to save us involves a radical life change. It should be uncomfortable. It should be challenging. It should entail us going long-term. I want to live differently. I want to do different things. I want to surrender my life to you and let you stay in my life and begin to live a new kind of life. He came to seek and he came to save. And he is seeking. And he's also saving. I brought up the beggar's night because its history is fascinating. In 1938, on Halloween, in Des Moines, police received 550 calls of vandalism, theft, because Halloween had become, in Des Moines, the place to throw bricks through windows, to soap windows, to pull all of these pranks. And it was so bad that the city was trying to figure out how do we deal with this? And one woman, Catherine Craig, she worked for the equivalent of the Parks and Rec. It wasn't called that at the time. She worked for the equivalent of the Parks and Rec. And she came up with this idea. Let's have on October 30th, beggar's night, where kids will come out and they will have to 
earn their candy by telling jokes or singing songs, by doing some little performance, and it caught on. It caught on to the point that that particular year, they had 25 calls for vandalism in 1941 when it started. The next year, 1942, when that gigantic war was going on, it got incorporated into it. On the front page of the newspaper on October 29th, it said, kids, don't help the Axis. <laughs> and the message was, as you vandalize the buildings and destroy our property, you're hurting our chances in the war. I mean, it was everywhere. Even the soaping of the windows, they said to teenagers, don't soap windows because we need that material to build explosives. <laughs> I mean, it was all incorporated in. By the late 1940s, consistently, the vandalism was down half of what it was in the 1930s. It actually did something long-term. And even though somebody lived in Des Moines and has no idea what I'm talking about, it's happening tonight. There are kids prepping for it in Des Moines tonight because it is still going on. It was a long-term commitment of this city to make a difference. That's what we have the privilege and honor and joy of being a part of. The Son of God seeking us out and saving us. Our souls, our lives, our families, our relationships. Will we encounter Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that your mission was to seek and to save the lost. And it didn't matter if it was a tax collector, a prostitute, a known sinner. It didn't matter what their background was. You came to seek and to save the lost. And thank you that you still do that today. Lord, I pray two things. One, for those of us who we feel lost, we feel distant from you. Lord, help us to overcome the barriers and to surrender more fully to you that our lives might be different. And second, Lord, that you would help us to continue that mission, that we would seek out and by your power and your power alone, we would see people come into the kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.